0: Well, it is lovely to be here. I've heard amazing things. I've heard a lot of things about Junction, only good things, don't worry. Um, thank you for your prayers, your, your uh, dire prayers for this I- incredibly intense time of living with uh, Robin. Um, I didn't know if I was going to make it. You know, Robin, Robin, you're a fantastic guy, but when he was like kind of giving me like the heads up that, you know, what we were going to do, he's like, well, you know, we'll go on an armed walk. I said, "What do you do? That? What, what do you mean? What's an armed walk? Like, is this something like for security reasons, or like people are going to jump out you?" We never did the armed walk. I heard a lot about the armed walk. I got to see some of his guns. Um, I got to—I mean, this—I'm from Winnipeg. I really don't do this kind of stuff, right? There's no mountains or uh, there's penguins there, um, but uh, and then it was lovely going out to meet uh, Pastor Jesse and Marie uh, the other day and being confronted with a. a a mass Lego battleship, which uh, I was like, whoa, you know, is, that was pretty impressive. I uh, rarely get that impressed. So and it was Jeremy who built that, right? Yeah. Jeremy, where are you? Right there at the back. Oh, man, that was quite amazing. Um, yeah, so I to I'm going to give a shout-out as well. My lovely wife and maybe my kids are watching. I love you, my love. Not you, Robin. Oh, I love you too, Robin. Robin waved at me. I love you, Robin, my love, and uh, no, it's been, I've been a, a gone for almost two weeks, and so uh, I think she'll take me back. Uh, she said, well, you can come here, and then I'm going to go on holiday. I'm like, oh my goodness. Okay. So uh, yes, thanks, Pastor Jesse, for just like opening up your doors here. Thank you, all of you. Um, it's just, I don't take this for granted. It is lovely to go and speak in, uh, in churches. I meet Christians, pastors, people all across the country. And it is really exciting. I mean, I love going to some of these mission fests. And I go to the mission conference in Winnipeg. I've been to Edmonton before. But Vancouver, because what, when, uh, one of the amazing things that you see is that you see what God is doing. Kind of just like a, a miniature version, in a way, of what God is doing in the world. Um, all of these kinds of different uh, organizations reaching different groups of people and different styles and methods. And um, it really is amazing. Um, because... I mean, God is good, right? And the thing is, in like even hearing some of these difficult announcements of people that are going through things, like that is an amazing thing. That even in the midst of trial, and, and this is like by our own human strength, I don't even know how we can do this on or by ourselves. But the Lord gives us the strength to walk through these things. He guides us. He will never leave nor forsake us. And the amazing thing is, we are singing like, de- where is where is death sting? Because none of us are lost. It's like the moment, uh, you know, life here ends, it's like you s- just, you're seeing Jesus face to face. And it's like, and, then, and, and in a rejuvenated, redeemed body, glorified body, like it's just like, we're not lost. We don't just like rot away and wherever. We are like glorified and we will raise again at that day and we will see the Lord face to face. That is our future. Like, that is just an amazing thing. That is hope. And it is real. It is not a myth. It's not something we just cling to and hope it happens. It's real. You can see it in another believer. You can see the, the, the presence of God in this incredible creation. You can see the presence of God in, in the church that he's called to himself. You can see the presence of God in, in Israel, the nation of Israel. And it, like this is like we serve a covenant-keeping God. He means what he says, he says what he means, and he will deliver. The enemy will not win, will not derail. It's not like God wakes up, has to wake up and say, Oh my goodness, you know, that happened. I didn't see it coming out. Now I got to figure something out. You know, like things are hard in this world, and it is tough. and, And it is okay to say why and to be real with God and transparent. It's a relationship that he calls us to. But we also know. He will not let us go. He won't just like turn his back or get tired of us because we mess up a lot. He is faithful right to the end and beyond in eternity. And that is an amazing thing. It gives me great courage. It gives me wisdom. It gives me strength. Because the moment I try to rely on those things myself, oh my goodness, like who here is a perfect record when you rely on your own strength? Like we kind of mess things up regularly when we try to do that, and to try to control our world. world. And so, yes, my name is Peter Fass, I'm the National Director of Bridges for Peace. I'll give a short little intro, we'll see a little video, and then I'll dive into the uh, message which I want to share to you, which is about faith and the Abrahamic Covenant, which really is the gifts and callings of God, and what God is doing, what He's done, what He's doing, and what He will continue to do. And so, Bridges for Peace, we are an organization uh, internationally based in Israel we're in nine countries around the world I'm the National Director of the Canadian office in Winnipeg you know when I went to Winnipeg I didn't know if I was being exiled there or did something wrong because I, sh- I the Lord moved us like I was my wife and I were living in Israel for three years he called us back moved us to Winnipeg in February of 2014 the coldest winter I think in a century and a half I kid you not one of the days we were there it was colder in Winnipeg than the surface of Mars. Like I'm like, why do what do people live here? Or like, how do they survive? Right? Maybe we have short-term memory loss because like Winnipeggers, it'll you know it'll get a little under our skin. Like it's really cold here, you know. And but spring's coming, and then spring hits, and it, Winnipeg is beautiful spring, beautiful summer, beautiful fall, and we forget how tough it was, right? And then it like there's a trick played on us because then like. You know, it kind of snows and it's a little bit cold, but we're like, we can stand this, you know, and it's nice. You get into the, the festive season, Christmas, and then wham! Right after Christmas, we're like, whoa, oh my, you know, like this is cold and it's dark in the morning. And anyway, Winnipeg is lovely, the people are lovely. My wife and I have made that home, so it's not, it's not an exile. It is it is a privilege, and we're, you know what, we're in the, the, the palm of the Lord in His hand, we're right where he wants us to be. And, and you know, and that's the amazing thing. So, Bridges for Peace, what do we do? We're a reconciliation ministry, really. We're Christians supporting Israel and building relationships between Christians and Jews in Israel and around the world. Why do we have to reconcile? Well, you know, reconciliation, maybe, I mean, most people at some time in your life you'll have to reconcile with somebody. Okay? A friend, a family member, churches, nations, whatever. Reconciliation means something typically negative happened. And to reconcile, you come together. You ask forgiveness. To, you 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 ask. You explain. You know, I'm sorry. I did this and that. You like, you you air things out. Not to, true reconciliation. You're not trying to crush the other person, but you are coming together to to mend a wound, to heal something. And so, I mean, when you read in your in the Bible, the birth of the church. These were all Jews. I mean, Acts two. Peter preaches a sermon. And the whole uh, 3,000 Jewish people repent and they accept Jesus as the Messiah. And that starts this incredible movement um, planned by God and intended by God, not to just stay in Judea, Samaria, and Galilee, but to go to the ends of the earth. And that's good. That's all good things. Those are all good things. It's, that was part of his plan. He's to fill the world with the knowledge of God. But s- soon, going, when you go down the line, certain Christians... And church fathers and congregations begin to get arrogant and teach that God doesn't like the Jewish people anymore. He's, oh, you're amazing. I even have a small glass somewhere around here. Or, you know, maybe you should just stand right here. That would be really convenient. <laughs> and hold my water the whole sermon. That would be, bless you. I'll put it down here. Um, yeah, um, and so... Pretty soon we, we begin to have, now not, for, not every Christian, not every congregation, but you have a theology that begins to teach that God is done with the Jewish people in Israel. He, he t- broke his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and he's given it to the church. He doesn't like them anymore, they get the curses, the church gets blessed, and th- this manifests in certain ways. Even where, um, you know, on one end it says, oh, you know, there's nothing important about them. They're just like anybody else. The promises, the prophecies, all of that is not, God's not going to work with them anymore in any kind of unique way. And then the other extreme says God hates them. The purpose of Christians is to hate them as well, to get rid of them, to keep them in a state of humiliation, and so on and so forth. And that also, and it's very uncomfortable, but this this is in history. The reality is there were people, many people in history that said, I believe in Jesus, they assembled in congregations like this, but then they went out and did horrific things and persecuted the Jewish people in the name of Jesus. And so you, because of that, it creates a schism. Now we need to reconcile. Like, like it's amazing, even the, despite Paul's words saying, we, wild olive shoot, you're grafted in and you get the nourishment from the roots, you don't support the root, the root supports you. Um, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Has God broken his covenant with Israel? Certainly not. Romans 11.1. 1. Despite all of these things, the church came to, most of the church came to believe this and to wield it like a weapon. And you have a history of hurt, a history of suspicion, bitterness, um, not understanding who is this Jesus, not understanding who are these Christians. Are they? Do they come in love, like real love, or is there something else here and and so now it, it's amazing God is I mean God's doing incredible things in the church he's shaking the church and millions of people are coming out of that wanting to love Jewish people and showing unconditional love and see what God's doing in Israel and all of these things and to reconcile and bridges we're at the forefront of that and so we feed 22,000 needy Israelis every month despite Israel beating being a first world country of Israelis live below the poverty line. So we feed 22,140 people every month. Um, Even though we're a bridge from Christians to Jews, 2,500 of those people are also uh, Christian Arabs. We're not anti-anybody, but our calling is to the Jewish people. So that's two tons of food that's being delivered every day from Christians, Jesus people. They know it. They're receiving this love. And that's just one way that it's like coming together, and in, a, in, a, in a, just a fascinating way, because almost 2,000 years, Christians didn't do this. Uh, Christians and Jews typically had nothing to do with each other, and when they did kind of come together, it wasn't usually nice. And yet, we're repairing homes. That's what Robin, when he was in Israel, he repaired um, homes. We work with Holocaust survivors, widows and orphans. We work in schools, so we ten schools with 400 children, that are on an adoptions program, that get food, dental insurance, school supplies, all of these things. And maybe for the first time in 2,000 years, Christians are becoming the heroes of Jewish people. Like you don't know like, what this really means. When you put on the sh- metaphorical shoes, the shoes of a Jewish person, and look through that lens. I mean, what that, that's incredible what God is doing in, in the nations and in, and in Israel. And, um, and it's, it's just an amazing thing to be a part of. We're also, we love the church, we're part of the church. So I speak in churches, we take groups to Israel, we have volunteer opportunities for people to live in Israel and, and volunteer short or long term. We educate the church, we do seminars and conferences, we have young adult programs, we encourage the church to add Israel and subtract nothing. So that's, we're not saying that Israel is more important than other nations, a Jew does not have more value than you. God loves you, which is why he chose the Jews, so that from them, the light would go to all the world and that all of these nations would be blessed. And and it's an incredible plan. You know, there's a quote that said, how odd it is for God to choose the Jews, but how odder still than the person who chooses the God of the Jews and spurns the Jews. Right? God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. That has not changed. Jesus, we use, we use phrases like Christ. That comes from an anointed one. That's a Hebraic concept in, the, in, in Jewish history. Anointed one, the the root of Jesse, the, the son of David, um, all of these things. The, the, the sign on the cross got it right. They were trying to mock him, right? They put king of the Jews. He is. He is the Lion of Judah. He's also the king of the world. He will come back. He will establish his kingdom. He's faithful to you, and he's faithful to Israel. And you know what the amazing thing is? He's faithful to you even when you struggle with belief. Even when you mess up. Isn't that incredible? He's the same to Israel. He's the same to Israel. He hasn't changed. It was always through atonement. It was always through the promise. Things didn't Just because you were part of a nation called Israel... You didn't, it, you didn't get automatic salvation, but it was chosen. There was a national election on that nation to be a beacon to all, but it was always through faith, right? It was always through faith. So this is the incredible thing of what God has called us into. We're going to watch a short film, and then we're going to dive into uh, uh, this whole concept of covenant and faith and pull it apart. So if we can just
1: toss up that. Bridges for Peace. Christians Supporting Israel and building relationships between Christians and Jews in Israel and around the world. Bridges for Peace 50 years of blessing Israel and the church through compassion and revelation. Compassion feeding Israel's hungry caring for Israel's needy repairing homes giving hope to children in poverty helping the Jewish people return to their ancient homeland Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Revelation, bringing the Bible to life in its ancient context, revealing the truth of Israel's prophetic significance, telling the story of Israel's miraculous rebirth, connecting Christians and the Jewish people through a grassroots global team of Christian representatives. For God's instruction shall go forth from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Bridges for Peace, a Matthew 25 ministry dedicated to supporting the nation of Israel and bridging the centuries-old gap between Christians and Jews. Bridges for Peace, your Israel connection.
0: God calls imperfect people. I mean, that's that's one thing we all have in common. Despite cultures, languages, we're all kind of like messed up. We all got this messed up, dirty thing called sin, it's, or our old flesh, our old nature. We sometimes can do good, but we can't maintain it forever. We can't be perfect. It, there's literally like this war going on with our flesh, with truth. We wouldn't even know God if he just pulled away, right? The, the Gospels say we only love him because he first loved us. He, like, extends his hand to us, and we, that's how we see it. The Holy Spirit convicts us. That's the only reason we see it. If he withdrew, I mean, if he withdrew from the world, or what if he was this, what if he wasn't slow to anger? Like, compute that, consider that. What if he was not slow to anger? And did not have grace. Or maybe an like 5% grace. Right? Like my goodness. We would destroy ourselves. There would be no hope. We, we wouldn't last. But he is slow to anger. He is abounding in mercy and grace. He is a judge. But he extends love. He doesn't, he doesn't want to. I mean even Peter says that he wishes that none would perish. So he's not like swooping in there. And, and laughing and dancing on a chair. When he can judge someone he extends love and mercy i mean that's like the heart of john 316 which we, we all lit, uh, learn when we're little for god so loved the world right like he loves us so much he actually gives his son to die and he does, and he gives his son not to condemn the world but that the world would see him that the world would uh, know him so this is like this is radical this was radical For Abraham, I mean, nothing is new under the sun. Abraham comes out of this pagan culture, a culture that they were doing uh, disgusting things with their bodies, they were killing their children, they were worshipping all kinds of false gods, they worshipped nature, they believed it. Like, it's just, it's unreal what he came out of. But God calls them there. He doesn't wait till Abraham is in church to call him. He calls them out of this place that had a knowledge of God with a small G, right? He's put eternity into the hearts of man. Like these are people that look in our world. They look at the sun. They look at the constellations. They see power. So then they 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 create gods, or they look at water. They see mountains. They look like because they're seeking. They're searching for God, truth, knowledge, spiritual power, things like this. But they will always be disappointed when they don't find the real God, the true living God. And they wouldn't find the true living God if he didn't reach out, reveal himself, right? Like this is thing. So he calls Abram and he wants to bless him with an everlasting covenant. This is not because Abraham is amazing. But Abraham does have great faith. He responds to God in great faith, imperfectly, once again, he struggles. He doesn't make all perfect choices. But this Hebrew word you see up here, "breit," is covenant. It's being a covenant is being separated. God's going to separate him, and he's going to make himself a nation. He makes himself a people. He's calling him out. You know, it's been said that Abraham, a, a Jewish person is a gentile with a unique calling. So Abram is this gentile, or the of the Chaldees. He gets called out and he, and he obeys and he has faith and he's going to go where God shows him. He's going to do what God tells him to do and he's about to get his world totally rocked. Is that going to, I was told, there we go. I was told to hold on to this button if it doesn't turn, but I've done that before with other remotes and it goes da, 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 right to the end. And so I didn't know if this was a junction prank or anything. You know, Jesse's a really nice guy, but I'm sure once in a while you got something under your sleeve, right? Um, Here's the new guy. Watch this, right? Right to the end, right to the beginning. um, Chaos. Um, So he's going to bless Abram. This is Genesis 12. I mean, we're introduced to Abram right near the end of Genesis 11 when it talks about the marriage and his brother and his father and where they're moving. But in Genesis 12, we see a blessing that's going to come about. And this blessing is three Fold. There are three things about this. Okay, so one, he's going to give him physical descendants. Now that's like, I mean, his wife. Remember, is barren. So he does come out with servants. He does come out with a lot of people that work for him. Okay, there there is a, a part of his clan is banned, but he's going to have descendants, literal descendants. Are these descendants going to wander forever? No, like. Abraham himself is nomadic. He moves around. But God says, I'm going to show you a land. I'm not going to show you, just show it to you. I'll bring you to that land. That land is also going to be connected to your, uh, to your descendants. So, this is like this is a land is a real thing. Descendants are real people. And we, sometimes when you read through the Bible, we forget they're flesh and blood people. All of them. Just like you. Just like you. God called them to do incredible things and people responded or some people missed it or they ruined it right at the end or they struggled the whole way. That's no different than you. God calls you and he meets you where you're at and he'll work with you. He'll mold you. He won't give you something you can't handle. When you mess up, he's slow to anger. That's awesome. We're also sealed in Christ by his Holy Spirit so we can come back to him and he will clean us. So, Literal descendants, a real land. But this isn't just to be like, okay, I'm going to bring you to a cool camping spot. You guys could just camp there. Enjoy. There's something bigger to this. This is going to bless the whole world. This calling, this people, and this land, and out of you, the whole world will be blessed. And we know the ultimate blessing is through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, we have the anointed One. The seed, the promised one, the Messiah. And it's amazing. God didn't do anything new here. It was always about faith. Abraham believed him. And his, and his belief, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. Believed him. Abraham believed him. And that that's going to go to the whole world. So Abraham looks ahead to God's blessing. his The reality, the concrete reality of how God's going to work. And Abraham, his descendants in the world, he trusts in that. And the seed, the promise, he trusts in that. That's his righteousness. So God himself can credit to him his righteousness because the lamb was slain before the foundations of the world. Just as we look back at the cross, wow, I believe in that, that's the promise, and then I, I, look, God's leading me down there. It's not just a cross and he's in a tomb. The tomb is empty. He's coming back. He's the king. And this is what Abraham believes. Just to remind you, it wasn't about why Israel was so awesome. You know, it's, it's not about Israel. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's all about God. And Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 9, God himself, through Moses, tells Israel, it wasn't because of your numbers or your strength that I ever set my eyes upon you. It wasn't. God chooses this nation because he wants to work with them. He doesn't choose the greatest. You know, he doesn't go to Hollywood and say, uh, you guys are the greatest of society, I'm going to use you, or the strongest, most powerful politicians. This is the cream of the cr- He uses average people. Sometimes he calls a priest or a guy with a PhD or somebody in the courts of the king. But a lot of these people, they're, they're sheepherders. A lot of these people that are called are sheepherders. Right? They're like down there. They like hang out with stinky sheep all day. You know, they, have, they, don't, they haven't studied at Oxford. They don't drive Bentleys. They're, they're with sheep. A lot of these guys. Right? They're, it's incredible. But he calls them. Ezekiel 36 says, and this is a f- from Ezekiel's time, a future time where Ezekiel says that the... So Israel at this time has been dispersed. They're in the nations. And Ezekiel says... Through from God's voice is speaking through in this vision. He says, "But you have profaned my holy name when you're in the nations." and He's talking to Israel. You're profaning my name in the nations. Why? And, he, and Ezekiel kind of talks as if the nations would talk, and the nations say, "Your God is weak. Your God said you you would be in the land. He can't he can't deliver. You're in the nations." And God says, "But I have concern for my holy name. That is why I will gather you out of the lands, Israel." And bring you back into your land. Then I will clean you. So they don't, get, they don't come back to the land because they're awesome. They come back because they're profaning his name. And God is concerned for his holy name. That is why he brings them. He cleans them. He gives them a new heart. And that's what he does with us. Before you knew God, you're like, like—you're out, in, we're all out in darkness, every one of us. But he brings us in. He cleans us. He gives us a new heart. So this is an amazing thing. And I want to talk about Genesis 15. Oh, there we go. Okay, I'm I'm figuring this out, that I kind of got to do this, a dance move, and point it that way. Okay, so I want to, if you have a Bible, you can turn to it. If not, that's fine, I'm going to read it. Genesis 15. This is an amazing thing, because this is God's covenant. This is God working with a human being, this is God establishing something that everything will be built on, okay? When we talk about covenant, I mean, we have terms now. We say the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant, right? But everything is built on this. So in Genesis 15, what's happening here? This is the very fabric and nature of who God is. This is his pledge to covenant like a bridegroom. Covenant is also often, when it's talked about in the Bible, There's marriage language to this. So this is God talking to Abram, and he's promised him this son or descendants. There's no descendants yet. His wife wife is uh, um, old but beautiful. He's old, probably not as beautiful as Sarah, that's for sure. Um, But she's childless. And in that culture, that culture said, I mean, children are everything. That's how you survive. That's how your name gets carried on. That was very, very important. So their culture said, she's childless, get rid of her, or take a surrogate wife. So what, with Hagar? That was culturally acceptable, but not what God wanted, to take a surrogate or adopt somebody. And that's what we see here. Uh, 15.2, but Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring, Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. So Abram's asking God, can Eleazar be my heir? That would have been acceptable in the ancient Mesopotamian culture. But God, that is not acceptable of God. He's going to do a supernatural miracle. And it says, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one, Eleazar, shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. This is going to be a miracle. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward heaven's, uh, heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. I love this part. What happens, I mean, you're a father. This is your child, I'm assuming. Uh, otherwise, you, you know, that kid loves you, you know. Um, maybe you're, you're the, the lovable uncle, but I'm assuming. So if you take out your child, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. If I take out my child, say, look up at the stars and count them, what are they going to do? Try to count them. You're going to try to count them. You know, Maybe you'll pull something out of thin air like my kid who would just look at it and say 100,000 you know, or something like that. But you, you'll try to count them. So God's the father. He calls Abram out and he says, count the stars. And I love it because in the Hebrew there's a pause there. Something's happening. God is giving Abraham time. He's giving him time. There's, there's a, like a relationship there. Count the stars. Pause. God's just like this. Maybe not crossing the arms, right? But Abram's looking up at the stars. May I th- and I love to think, I mean, we're his children. I love to think, you know, dad tells us, go do this, and we'll try to do it. And, but here's the, the end of the pause. It starts like this. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. That's amazing. And listen to this. This is one of the most incredible. This is the gospel. It's, it's not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Like that's like that's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. Then he said, God saying to Abram, he said to him, "I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur the Chaldeans to give you this land to inherit it." And he said, "Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it?" Now this is this is where culturally we go whoop like this, like can you imagine like how many people here When you bought your house or you, I don't know, bought a car, financed it, whatever, um, how many like car salesmen said, okay, before you sign the paperwork, you got to bring me a heifer, you got to bring me some goats, bring me some birds, and we'll cut them in half, we'll separate them, it'll be a bloody mess, we'll walk between the pieces. Who here? (laughs) Who here? You know, (laughs) like, this is, this is, so what we got to know is that we're removed from this event by 4,000 years, we're also removed by this event from, cult, from a culture that is not ours. This is the way that they made covenant, that they made promises, contracts, you could say. Thank the Lord we don't do this anymore. Can you imagine that? That would just be unreal. But Abram doesn't say, oh, God, like, what you, why do I have to bring these things? And what do I do with these animals when I have them? Abram knows what God's asking him to do because Abram starts cutting them up. And then he starts waiting Well, who's he waiting for? God. So what we have here in Genesis 15 are two ancient things happening. And they're very, very, very important. One, the cutting of the covenant. And two, a royal grant treaty. I'm going to unpack this a little bit for you. And you will see the significance of that. So let's just say, for humor, because this would never happen, right? Robin, you're a multi-billionaire. yeah, I'm the National Director of Bridges for Peace, okay? I want to move out here to Castlegar because uh, it's beautiful here, and it is. This whole area is beautiful. I say Robin, like maybe Robin owns a little bit more land. You know, to be a billionaire, he's obviously invested in property. He has maybe car dealerships, all of that. Maybe he inherits Jimmy Patterson's like, whole fortune, whatever. But I say Robin, you know, you got a nice little spot of land up there by Jesse's house. You know, I don't know if you would let Robin live that close to you or own that kind of land, But I say, you know, Jesse's a really nice guy. I would like to live up by Jesse's house. So Robin says, okay, great. I'll sell you this little piece of land for $30,000. I say, awesome. Done. Deal. We bring these animals. We cut them in half. We separate them. We hopefully the police don't find out, or or PETA. uh, But we separate the animals. Robin and I walk between the pieces together. Okay? We come out at the other end. Done. Deal is done. I got this property for $30,000. Now, what happens if I, a week later, say, Robin, come on, really? You're a multi-billionaire. You don't need the money. Look, how about 20000 Or what if Robin's like, you know, that, I think I, that Peter, he's pretty gullible. Here's a chance for me. I don't even know why you would want to do this. But I'm going to ask, I, you know, I'm going to change the conditions. $50,000, Peter. If either one of us tries to wiggle out of it, may we be like these pieces. That's what this means. That's what this means the other thing is if Robin and I are going to do this whether you like it or not you'll get an invitation to come and watch um, just because we're like that no the cutting of the covenant was uh, could also be um, an event like people would come to watch to affirm the other thing is Robin and I when we walk between the pieces in your eyes and in in kind of there we're equal we're equal there's no like societal, like, you know, he's a billionaire and I'm the national director. We're equal, we're considered equal in front of all of you. So there's a serious problem here for Abraham. God asks him, bring these animals. He cuts them up. He obeys. He waits. Why is he waiting? Because the cutting of the covenant is always between two parties. He's waiting for God to show up. What's his problem? I can't pass between the pieces. The, The cutting of the covenant always involves two parties. And it always, then it says that we're equal. I can't pass between the pieces. Now, it doesn't say this in the scripture, but Abraham's waiting. And when we understand the culture, what this means, no doubt he is thinking this. Because the magnificence of this is that Abraham never passed between the pieces. So when God establishes covenant, it's not like Abraham's like, hey, I got a great idea. What about you and I go halfsies on this? God is establishing it, reaching out to man. It's not the other way around. Every one of these, all the covenants, even the new covenant in the blood of Jesus, it wasn't like, we, it, we didn't have the idea. God, why don't you send your son to do this and live a sinless life so that I... It wasn't our idea. This is God bridging the gap. And so what happens? God puts Abraham into a sleep, in a deep sleep. And then through a vision, God, Abraham sees the presence of God pass between the pieces in fire and what God is saying is he's taking this covenant all on his nature who he is and this is an amazing amazing thing it says and it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces on the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying and then he establishes this land He gives them literal borders and literal land. To your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the Jebusites. These were all nations that were very wicked and pagan and God would be a strong arm of judgment later on. God is still merciful though because he says to Abram, that you won't inherit this land, your descendants will be enslaved for 400 years. Why? He goes, The cup of the Amorites is not full. God gives them 400 more years to repent. 400 more years to repent. And they didn't repent. The, like the, the, what archaeology has proven and, and dug up what these kinds of nations were capable of, what a complete, lawless, godless society is capable of. Like, use your imagination, anything goes. And that's what these nations were doing. And so this is an amazing thing. This is the cutting of a covenant. But as I just read to you, those descriptions of those land is also a royal grant treaty. We see the two things happening at the same time. So God takes something that Abraham knew, the cutting of the covenant. He doesn't pull a rabbit out of a hat. He uses things that we understand. He comes to our level and uses things that make sense to us. So he calls Abram, do this with the cutting of the animals, and then he also does a royal grant treaty in the same thing. And the royal grant treaty, and you'll see the parallel, the royal grant treaty was a great king who would come up to his faithful vassal, just because the guy's faithful, no strings attached, and say, I'm going to give you land, it's tax exempt, and it's for you and your descendants forever. And that's what we see, the spelling out of the contract and the land that is given with this. So, there we go. So what we see is a couple of things happening here, land and a sign. So we see Canaan, the land of Canaan, the sign of circumcision. Circumcision doesn't save, but it was cutting them out separate as a people. They were to look different than all the nations around them. They were to act different. They were to eat different. They were to celebrate different feasts. They weren't supposed to look like the nations. They were supposed to be a nation of priests and a light. And this is the interesting thing, even when in unbelief, they were still being at light because it was showing that God is faithful because you don't get away with it when God says don't do something. But it's amazing at the same time. So Moses gives them If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed. And there were conditions. There were conditions on the Mosaic Covenant. The the Abrahamic Covenant was unconditional. Scripture tells us that this is unconditional. But the Mosaic Covenant said there are conditions. But even through those conditions, God is still merciful. So he says, if you do this, you'll be disciplined or cursed. If you do this, you'll be blessed. But even in the midst of that, what does God do? He gives them the tabernacle. He says, when you do something wrong, you can come to me with sin offerings and make it right in your heart. Then he sends them prophets and says, come back to me, nation. I love you. I want to clean you. Come back. But he does have his line. And Israel really struggled many, many times in history to be faithful and to understand what faithfulness is. But God has not given up on them in the same ways he doesn't give up on us. You see this. So the Abrahamic covenant establishes what we could say ownership. It's God's land, and he says you're going to be inheritors, stewards of this land. You will be in the land. But we also see possession. Possession and ownership are two different things. When you do evil, you will lose access to the land. And we see that exile, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, when Israel sins. There's possession issues there. But there's also ownership, the everlasting covenant. So I want to go into a little bit, uh, break this down. Unconditional covenant based on Abraham's faith. If 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 God could have supernaturally covered Abraham in a little ball so that he wouldn't sin, so he could get to the other side of the pieces, I mean, a minute later he's going to mess it up. Okay? God passes between the pieces by himself. That means he's establishing on his word, on his character and nature, Not Abraham's. Because Israel doesn't get away with it. Non-Israelites, we don't get away with this stuff. God judges. He's righteous. Israel has suffered. They've struggled. When they have followed God, wow, the blessings. But when they stumble, when they struggle, when they try to be like the nations, that's a problem. When we, Try to be like the world and compromise on God's word and who he is. That is a serious problem. So, unconditional means just that. God's love is unconditional. This is not conditional love, which isn't real love. Husbands, wives, can you imagine if, you just, if your marriage was totally based on conditional love? Go out from that. Just friendships. Two best friends. Conditional? It's not going to last. Unconditional love, and our, our human society is fragmented and broken and filled with conditional love. Even people that may not have ever meant it, and nations, conditional love. What do I get out of this? Unconditional love does not mean a get out of jail free card or a free ticket to do whatever one wants. For tough love, discipline, correction and judgment come with it as testament to Israel's history but it does mean that God will never break his word. It is he who makes and initiates covenant, not Abraham, not man. God's covenant desires relationship. He wants men and women within that covenant to love him honestly, obediently with one's full heart and being, loyally like a marriage. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your strength, and with all your might. And just to add to this, Moses declares that Israel should ultimately circumcise their hearts. Deuteronomy 36, verse 6. It's not just an act of outward f- uh, change of flesh or something that you're, you cut your hair different that doesn't fit. He's like It has to be an internal thing. So that's the, go- that's the gospel there too because we don't earn salvation by merit. I don't try to do nice things and then boom, the gates of heaven fly open. It's a heart issue. It was always a heart issue But he knows we are in a process, when we come to him, we are in a process of being set apart as holy. Once we trust in him and cleave unto him, that we are broken and in a broken world, that our flesh is weak, that our hearts are fragmented, which is why he has grace, which is why he is slow to anger, which is why he desires to forgive sins, iniquity, transgression, which is ultimately why we need to be saved. We are lost without him, but his covenant, now that's forever. His covenant draws us like it did to Abraham. Listen to this. In Psalm 105, like this is just phenomenal stuff. Psalm 105, I get excited about this. Psalm 105, there we go. Okay. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word which he commanded for a thousand generations, the covenant which he made with Abraham, and his oath to Isaac, and confirmed it to Jacob for a statute to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying to you, I will give the land of Canaan. Let's look at Jeremiah. So, Jeremiah 31, 35 to 37. Thus says the Lord, Who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night? Who disturbs the sea and its waves roar? The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances, sun, moon, light, all of these things, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. Thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. He will not cast them off. He will not cast you off. This isn't a separate thing of salvation for Israel. The one new man, it's all through Jesus Christ. The purpose of Israel wasn't, like I said, here's a free ticket to salvation if you're circumcised. No. They were a, a nation of priests and a light to draw all the nations to fill the world with the knowledge of God and draw them to God through the promises and the, the atonement to come. Romans 9, like this is amazing. This is post. They've already, um, Jesus has already been crucified. This is, Listen to this. Romans 9, there we go. This is, this is Paul speaking. So national Israel, the leadership had already rejected Jesus. They didn't believe he was the Messiah. They were confused he was the Messiah. Some of them believed. But the, the leadership was very corrupt. And with the help of the Romans, crucified him. But listen to what Paul says after. This is incredible. He goes, I tell you the truth. I'm not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart for I could wish... That I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh. Oh, he loves them so much. And listen what he says Who are Israelites? To whom pertain? He doesn't say in past tense, to whom belonged or pertained. It still pertains to them. To whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the Torah or the law, the service of God, and the promises? of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. Like, this is, this is unreal, what he's doing. So, Abraham, when you become a believer, who, who, who becomes your heroes of the faith? Uh, you know outside of the bible maybe your dad maybe your mom maybe a brother sister a friend whatever but biblically speaking who becomes our heroes abraham he becomes like he's like one of the foundational heroes of the faith you want to know what faith looks like we look at him then a bunch of other jews become our heroes and you read that through uh, hebrews 11 8 to 17 moses and david and joshua like isn't that amazing We who were once pagan, non-Jews, we didn't have this. God brought us in, hooked us and grafted us into this incredible plan. And now you inherit this amazing heritage. This is part of it. This is absolutely part of it. So Abraham becomes a model of faith. We look at Abraham's faith. He didn't just obey physical commandments like some drone or a robot. But he trusted in God. He trusted in not just a concept of God, the living God, the God who who is real, sovereign. And he believed in his promises for him, his wife, his family, and the future of his descendants. Abraham knew God to be the only true God. Put on his sandals for a moment. Can you imagine if God could reveal himself to someone, or you, and say things like, I will never leave you, this is everlasting. This is eternal. This is my plan for you. I'm going to do all of this stuff. And Abraham, his very salvation, he believes in that. And he believes in who God is. Then can you imagine if after a significant portion of time, God spun it and said, ha, you know, never meant it really, changed things, broke it, gave it to somebody else, like totally different. You know, you didn't see that. It was always this, like, allegory or metaphor. You never, then God lied to him then. Because Abraham believed it. And it was credited him as righteousness. God passed between the pieces. Not Abraham. He really believes this stuff. People have died throughout history believing this stuff. Christians right now are killed in, around the world, tortured and imprisoned because they believe this stuff. He knew God to be the only true God, but nevertheless, he knew God as a God of relationship, promise, holiness. And he clung to him in faith, following him across the known world, believing in a promised son, Isaac, through a barren wife, pleading with God to spare the righteous, Sodom and Gomorrah, and willing to sacrifice his only son in obedience to the Lord. Out of Abram's seed would one day come the Savior. The model of faith in God would be known to replicate that of Abraham's meaning, our faith should look like his. Abraham looked forward to God's blessings and promises. He trusted in the future redemption of this world and believed what God said. And that's what I, I, said, I mentioned earlier, and I'm going to say it again. Revelation 13.8 declares the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. Therefore, Abraham believed and looked forward to God's redemption, just as we today look back at the redemption of the cross. And it was always God's intention... It was always God's intention to correct the gap between him and us. Not just Abraham, not just Israel, not just what, somebody else, us, humanity. It was always God's intention because there's a gap. We need to be reconciled to God. There's a serious thing. If you do not believe you need to be reconciled to God, look again. Look again. Because if you are not reconciled to God, then you have a form of godliness, but you're still walking in darkness. You still do not understand why God is reaching out to you. He's not reaching out to you just to be pals. He is reaching out to you because we need reconciliation. He loves us, he's correcting something, he's extending, he's bringing us into why we were created. We were not created to die. That was an effect of the fall. We were created to walk with him in the garden to be in his presence, and then something bad happened. Our own pride and arrogance. So he chose to bridge this gap starting with Abraham. I mean, obviously he's reaching out before that, Noah and these things, but he's bridging this gap starting with Abraham, whose physical descendants, Israel, would act like a beacon of truth and a promise in this world. They still do. They're not perfect, but they still do. Isaiah said, I will lift up a banner to the nations when I regather Israel. The whole world will see it. Whether you have figured this out or not, the whole world is obsessed with Israel. The whole world is obsessed with Jerusalem. And Jesus himself says, you will not see me until I come again. Where? To Jerusalem. When you cry out, Baruch haba Hashem Adonai. Blessed is he who uh, comes in the name of the Lord. This is Zechariah. They'll look upon him whom they've pierced. This is, this is Paul in 11, where he talks about all Israel will be saved. And he's looking at the the hardening, the unbelief of Israel. It's only partial. This is good news. And their unbelief, God uses it in Romans 9 to 11. Read it carefully. He uses their unbelief to go to the whole world, the gospel to go to the whole world. He's orchestrating and using even unbelief of national Israel. So out of this nation of Israel uh, uh, would lead to the birth of the church from a remnant of Israel at the time, and believers in Christ being grafted into the olive tree of Israel. Through Israel's unbelief, part of God's plan, the gospel would go out. But God will not forget Israel, and in turn will restore them and redeem them, for they're the apple of his eye. This is God's plan. With Israel, he will turn unbelief into belief. The same as you and I. Nothing's changed. He's at work. He will not be derailed. He will not be crushed and defeated. He will not have to figure out things and babble to himself and hope something, just cross his fingers. It's complete control. He is in complete control. Why? Because he's infinite. He exists outside of space and time. Time is our construct. He's eternal. He has not replaced Israel nor broken his covenant. We know this because of the terms of the cutting of the covenant. He would be a liar. He would have to cease to exist. He could no longer be God. Now let me be clear. God's establishing and choosing of Israel doesn't automatically grant them salvation. It's only by believing in the blood of Christ's atonement on the cross and his resurrection that one is saved. But the purpose of his national choosing election of Israel was to shine a light in the world and to be a vehicle to literally bring salvation, the Messiah. Also, Israel reveals to the world God's nature of covenantal faith and assurance, his marriage to his word. Now remember, his choosing them was to lead them into a relationship of faith where they would be a nation of priests and a light to the world, testifying to the one true God, his ambassador nation. So that covenant with Abraham in the physical sense is eternal and the land is a part of that. When Israel disobeys, they exhaust God's limits of mercy as promised. They lose privilege or possession of being in the land. But the promise still stands. That land was sworn to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And it's based on the patriarchs and the forefathers. God's promise to them to restore it. Even Leviticus 26. And they're being bad at the time. Moses is warning Israel. And it says, but God is not going to give you up to utter destruction because he will remember his covenant with your forefathers. So, In the end, he remains faithful to Israel, his beloved in the church, the bride of Christ. He remains faithful as a God that chose a nation with an everlasting covenant in order to reach the nations and bring the world to the knowledge of who he is. And this is Abraham's legacy. This is faith. When we look at this, now I'm going to talk to us, Gentile believers. This is really exciting. When we examine Abraham's faith, how should this affect us as believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and followers of the promised Messiah Jesus. How should it affect us? Because you, you hear some people, well, I'm not Jewish, I'm not no. How should it affect us? Because you're the Messiah, Jesus. He, he, he'll come again like you see him going. He is, the, he is the lion of Judah. He is fully man, fully God, and he's going to reign in Jerusalem not Winnipeg, or Trail, or Castlegar, or whatever. He is coming to reign in Jerusalem. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives and split it, and he will reign in that city. And Zechariah 14 says, all the nations, and this is in the future, all the nations that have survived war will go up to Jerusalem to worship the king. When? At the Feast of Tabernacles. Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, is part of uh, it, teaching and, and, and representing the coming of Messiah and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's what it's about and it involves the nations and we're going to go but Galatians 3 calls all of us adopted sons of Abraham through faith co-heirs like this is incredible In Hebrews eleven eight 8-12 I, I described as a rich heritage for all of us Ephesians 2, 11-13 and I'll slightly paraphrase this You were once, and and Paul's talking to Gentiles in Ephesus, you were once, before you you were brought in, you were once so far away. I mean, at least the Jews at that time had this. Paul is in a pagan city. They don't have this. Their morality, their ethics, their expressions of life are very different, very different. And Paul says, but by God's mercy, Christ's mercy... He's brought you in to the commonwealth of Israel. He's like brought you in to the commonwealth of Israel. Jesus got it right in John 4.22 when he said, Salvation is from the Jews. This is the source that God has used to bring this to the world. So we're brought into the fold through spiritual identity. And this is an amazing thing. We don't have to become Jews. Like that's incredible. We don't have to become Jews. God takes you who you are. And that was the Jerusalem Council. It was a revolutionary idea. Did Gentiles have to become Jews in order to know Jesus? And it's like, no. He takes us who we are. He strips off what he doesn't like, what's ungodly. He works with us. He perfects us. And we walk in his light. Not because of how amazing we are. And then Romans 9 to 11, we're, we're the wild olive shoot grafted in. Did you, do you understand what that means? in the first century, it was totally contrary to nature to take a wild olive shoot and put it into a nice olive tree that's producing olives that people eat. You don't do that. And that's a description of what we were like before Christ. We were like wild. The Gentiles, most, almost all Gentiles at that period were pagan. Most of them. And we were like this wild olive shoot. So what God does, see, what's contrary to nature, he takes us grafts us in. And the nourishment of the roots go into the branches. And God then says, you know what? Some of the natural branches, the olive trees is, is His image of Israel. It's an Old Testament image of Israel. The olive tree. Some of these natural branches have been broken off because of unbelief. They've been broken off to make room for us. And then there's a mystery here. Paul says, but God has the power to take what he broke off and also put him back in if he wants. Put him back in. And this is like the root supports you. You don't support the root. And then Paul warns the church. Paul warns the wild olive shoot. Don't be arrogant. Don't boast over the root. Don't despise it. Don't say, hey, look at us. We're better. Don't do that. Because if some of the natural branches aren't spared, maybe you won't be spared at all. Maybe he won't spare you. Don't boast. Knowing how we fit God's plan, we need to be careful that we keep our eyes fixed on him. And so in closing, and then I'm going to pray. All of this is possible. All of this is possible through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Take him out of the equation Everything just... like there, Because everything looked to him. It's both and, not either or. God has this incredible plan of salvation. Israel and the church are part of that. Israel doesn't just get automatic salvation, but they're, they're holding up to the whole world of covenant faithfulness and who God is. And he's going to redeem them just like he redeemed you. And this is not just for Israel. It's for all the nations. It's for everyone. So he came to minister as prophesied hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years thousands of years before him right at Eden he came to minister teach he walked among his own people he loved he wept over his own people even when he hung on the cross he cried out to, for god to forgive them all everyone from the roman nailing the nails to the corrupt high priest who didn't want him around. He, bet, he cried out to God, forgive them. Jesus himself even said, I have the power to lay down my life and take it up again. Nobody takes my life away from me. Who took away his life? Why did he have to go to the cross? All of us. He goes to the cross to pay. He who is sinless is made to look like sin for us. And he walks among us. He died. He shed his blood, and he rose from the dead in his glorified body. If he had stayed in a tomb, we would have no hope. He is not in the tomb. He rose from the dead. He's glorified. He dealt the final death blow to sin. That's hallelujah. I mean, that's, like, that's incredible. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and that image of him sitting shows it's done. That's an ancient term. When you sit on your throne, you're you're sitting in a seat of judgment, you have completed something. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father and he's showing all the world that everything is accomplished and it drives the world crazy. Crazy. They hate it. They absolutely hate it. But it is accomplished. And then, this gets better. He's not just like far away up there and we're just down here schlepping around and struggling. And then he will come back to reign from the city of the great king, Jerusalem. The new earth, the new Jerusalem. All things new, the redemption of all things. The redemption of all things. No more tears, no more disease, no more war. He gets rid of unrighteousness and wickedness. He sits in a place of judgment, but he also holds his hands. And that's an amazing thing. When he came, he didn't bring a sword. He touched, he healed, he spoke, he preached. When he comes, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess who he is. He will come with a sword in his mouth. He will judge nations. It's not going to be pretty. But he also comes to gather his saints, to reign, to renew all life, there will no be, like, like the, all of us are born into this. That's all we ever know sin, corruption, a fallen world. I can't even imagine what it will be like. And the only thing, like, we won't have to worry about anything. And we will eagerly worship the king. Like, that's just an incredible thing. So let me pray. And I want to pray a blessing over all of you as well. Father God. You are almighty. Lord, there is none like you. Lord God, even though we don't deserve it, you don't need any of us. Yet you extend your hand. You extend your grace. You make it so easy to find you. You want to be found. You want relationship. You want covenant. You show us your love. Again and again and again. And you hold our hands like a child. And you are so forgiving. Because we can trust in you. And then we mess it up five minutes later. And you don't just say, I'm done with you. You pick us up. You dust us off. You say, let's go, let's try it again. Trust in me more. I'll show you my power. I'll, I'll minister to you. I have sent the Holy Spirit to you to counsel you, to guide you. You never leave us. We are a new creation. Our identity is not in ourselves or Hollywood or somebody else. Our identity is in you. The moment that gets blurred, the moment we think our identity is in something else, we drift away from you. Oh, Father God, have patience with us. Be merciful to us. Bring us back to your side. Cleanse us. Reveal yourself to us. Sit on the throne. I don't want to sit there. Lord God, thank you. A sinner, a wretched sinner like me that you have saved. I didn't have to do anything. It wasn't by my works. How good I could perform. I could just humble myself and say, I believe. And you clean my heart. You don't just clean it. You reside in me. You seal me in Christ by your Holy Spirit. That will never, that seal will never break. You guide me and show me your will. And I pray blessings over everyone here. The leadership. The people up here ministering in music. People who pray with one another. Serve the community. Serve people within. The people here that open their doors And say welcome. doesn't matter what your hair color looks like. Or how you're dressed or whatever. It matters is your heart. Let me share this good news with you. God loves you. If you were the only person in the world. He would have sent his son to the cross for you. And that is real truth. That is real love. And I pray this blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you, your children, to your family, to everyone, you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you shalom, his peace, his wholeness, for he has set you apart. He's marked you. He loves you. He wants relationship with you. You are a child, a son or a daughter of the High King. You serve the High King. He reaches to you. He hugs you. Amazing. Father God, in Jesus' name, the Holy One, our Sovereign Lord, the Savior, the Anointed One, the root of Jesse, the morning star, in your name and in your name alone, because there is no other name in under heaven that which man shall be saved. No other name. Amen.